Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Monday afternoon, August 28th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour. I'm Rob Hart. About a third of people in the U.S. are providing financial assistance to their parents. We'll discuss that in our next segment. But right now, in the coming week, it'll be highlighted by the government jobs report for August. Joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home, is Paul Christopher, head of global market strategy at the Wells Fargo Investment Institute in St. Louis. Paul, thank you for joining us today. And uh, lots of numbers to talk about this week, but the big one will come at 7.30 on Friday morning Chicago time. That's the jobs report for the month of August. And uh, that can play into the Fed's decision-making when it comes to uh, hiking interest rates yet again. Sure, Rob. Uh, Hi, good to be with you. Yeah, it's part of what you might call a mosaic of numbers that the Fed is going to be watching this month. Uh, The CPI report comes out around the middle of the month. That'll be important, too. Uh, And the general strength of the economy. We think the Fed could easily hold on rates here in September, but by November could have enough evidence to, to need to hike again. Now, at the same time, uh, the, the, the Fed could certainly, uh, or, or, or analysts too, um, there have been some revisions downward in previous employment reports. So the number we get on Friday morning may not tell the entire story. Yeah, that's right. The, the top line number, the one that, the, that you'll see in the newspapers and in the media, that one, that one that's the 170. But uh, we've been seeing downward revisions to the prior months. That's going to be worth watching. Also, the number of hours worked. Uh, you know, if your wage rate, your let's say your salary is going up by 4% and inflation is only 3%, you think, hey, that's great. I'm beating inflation. But if the hours worked are declining, then your total take-home pay could maybe not be able to keep up with inflation uh, and you'll be losing purchasing power. So those are a couple of other things to watch besides that top line number. We're talking to Paul Christopher, the head of global market strategy at the Wells Fargo Investment Institute in St. Louis. Some other numbers that are coming out this week, uh, the Case-Shiller Home Price Index. What can that tell us, especially uh, with mortgage rates uh, as the highest they've been in several decades? It's such a strange housing market right now. Only about 14 of every 1,000 existing homes is up for sale. People don't want to sell a house when they've got a 2.5% mortgage if they have to buy a new one with a 7% mortgage. So there just aren't a lot of existing homes available for sale. That's driving the prices higher. Uh, And even if you're getting new homes being built at a pretty good clip here, that's only about 15% of the total home market. So what does that mean for the markets, the stock market? Well, what it means is that house prices are likely to continue to stay high and may even rise further. That is another one of those indicators the Fed is going to be watching to keep rates uh, steady or higher. And then on Thursday, we close out the month of August with uh, uh, some reads on personal income and personal spending. What will that tell us? Yeah, personal income and spending, I mean, obviously, uh, you want income to be higher than spending. Uh, but what we're starting to see from the consumer is is that the strains are have accumulated. They've, they've run out of, if, if you think about the law, the lower two quintiles of income, so the lower, the lowest 40% of income earners in this country, they are under tremendous strain right now. They've run out of savings. They are running out of room on their credit cards. The banks are are uh, uh, rejecting credit applications from this kind of a group uh, in general. And the auto loan uh, de- delinquencies are also rising. So we're starting to see the cracks 
in the lower 40%. And then what's next is the middle 40%, so call them the middle class. They are also uh, not far behind. And so as, as we progress further, as long as prices stay at this high level, even if they don't go up, food is still much more expensive than it was a year ago. And if your labor income is maybe softer, boy, it's going to be a lot harder uh, going forward than it was uh, a couple of years ago. Paul Christopher, head of global market strategy at the Wells Fargo Investment Institute in St. Louis. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up, lending a financial hand to your parents. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. A growing number of people find themselves providing financial support to their aging parents. We'll tell you how you can do that by welcoming in Chris Everett, fiduciary financial planner and president of Everett Wealth Solutions based in Forest Park and author of the book, The Prescription for a Healthy Retirement. Chris, thank you for joining us today. Now, the younger generation taking care of their parents, uh, this is nothing new. Maybe uh, mom and dad move in uh, later on in life and uh, they have an extra room in the house. But what are some other definitions of financial support for aging parents? You know, it, it can really come all over the board. If you are providing at least 50% or more support for your parents, maybe consider claiming them as a dependent. That's one idea. The other thing to consider, if they have a lot of expenses, medical expenses, that might be classified as long-term care expenses, and they have an IRA, do you know that the current tax code says you can withdraw money from your IRA to cover those qualified expenses, and it will be tax-free? It's kind of like a backdoor Roth conversion, if you will. So as a, as, as a child trying to care for an aging parent and also put together your own retirement savings plan, should you factor that into your planning that uh, you know or you should be ready for uh, later in life, potentially taking care of one parent or both parents? Absolutely. That has to be an essential part of the planning that you're doing. You know, you may not know today that they're going to have a problem in the future, but if you kind of build in something in your plan, that's a good idea. Or if you know, you definitely must build it in. Make sure you're assessing cost of living expense on that as well. The other thing is, if you have financial responsibility for them, or if you think you might in the future, make sure to dust off those financial powers of attorney so you can step in when you need to. We're talking to Chris Everett, fiduciary financial planner and president of Everett Wealth Solutions in Forest Park. It seems like the solution to 95% of the problems that are presented on the noon business hour, and I would imagine 95% of the problems in life, is just getting all of the parties together to have a conversation about uh, what expectations are. And that seems to be a good way to avoid a lot of problems and a lot of bruised feelings as they try to get this multi-generational arrangement to get it to work. We do that whenever possible, Rob. And, you know, sometimes you have siblings that are going to be involved. They're all over the nation. So we try to pull the family together as much as possible, maybe do it via webinar, just to get everybody clued in on what's going on so that there are no surprises and get some real serious planning done could also be that you need to look at their investments and make sure those investments are structured correctly, they're generating as much income as possible. Make sense? 
And the other thing too is, uh, you know, it's 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 very nice to take care of an aging parent or parents, but you have to take care of yourself along the way. Honey, you are so right. That's why financial planning, retirement planning for yourself definitely starts there. But you have to include the risk of caring for an aging parent or maybe a child that's never going to leave the home as well. And then lastly, uh, uh, this this goes for seniors, but it also goes for uh, children who are taking care of seniors. And that is uh, keep an eye out for fraud. Make sure they're not getting ripped off. Oh, without question. Nowadays, you want to put two-factor authentication on absolutely everything you possibly can. I also learned recently that your password should be at least 16 characters long. So, yeah, be careful. Look at those email addresses before you click on anything. Make sure it's correct. Chris Everett, fiduciary financial planner and president of Everett Wealth Solutions based in Forest Park, author of the book, The Prescription for a Healthy Retirement. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next, major changes are coming to the college financial aid application process. Conversation that's on the money. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. The college financial aid application process is undergoing changes with a new formula for calculating aid. Let's talk about what it means for families with Ed Jertson certified financial planner and the founder of the Engage Wealth Group based in Chicago, the website EngageWealthGroup.com. Ed, thanks for joining us today. And if you are the parent of a high school age child, you know, the FAFSA form comes to dominate your life. And uh, the reality is, Ed, that form is uh, basically your key to all sorts of financial aid. And a a lot of families leave billions of dollars on the table by not filling it out. Yeah, Rob. So back in 2020, Congress, uh, through the Consolidated Appropriations Act, you know, did a key focus on FAFSA. And FAFSA stands for the Free Application for Federal Student Aid. And as you had mentioned, it's one of the key elements that nearly almost every family should be filling out and submitting along with their college applications in the design to get some sort of grant and or ability to get a loan if needed to help pay for college. But again, this form has been updated, which will affect all students entering the 24-25 school year. Now, the uh, changes to this application form are being described as tectonic. What makes this version different than uh, the one that was used before? Yeah, I I think the important thing is for households with incomes below $60,000, right, this new law basically expanded the uh, Pell Grant program. So those households are going to benefit. Other households, those with multiple student discounts, and this is going to be a big thing. So those families who have more than one student in college at any uh, given time, that program is going away. So parents who have multiple kids or will have multiple kids in school really have to do some financial forecasting and planning because ultimately that benefit, if you would, of having multiple students in school at once is going away. We're talking to Ed Jertson, certified financial planner and founder of the Engage Wealth Group based in Chicago. Uh, On average, uh, this new form and the way in which aid is calculated, does this mean that uh, a student is eligible for more aid as a result? How does that change? 
Yeah, it all depends on household income, Rob. And so that's the, basically what it boils down to. And what your listeners have to remember is that FAFSA is based on a look back of two years. So those parents who have, let's say, a sophomore year high school uh, student, you know, they're going to be looking at this year for income. So it's that two-year look back. So folks trying to plan or do certain things to put themselves in a better position have to remember that two-year look back. And again, while more higher earning households will be uh, negatively impacted potentially with this multiple student discount, lower household incomes are going to see more benefits come their way. Now, you're a financial planner and uh, often the financial planning conversation centers around retirement, but uh, I'm sure you have clients who are concerned about college savings. And do you guys have the FAFSA discussion? Yeah, we do. I mean, it's part of the whole ongoing process in in engaging with clients, especially with our families with younger kids. It's like, what are we doing today when your children are in their single-digit years? Whether it's through 529 plans or or set-aside programs, that is the ultimate guide, right? We're trying to figure out what is in the best use of uh, a client's funds. And and inevitably, Rob, as you can imagine, some clients have to cut back a little bit on saving for retirement uh, in order to do uh, uh, college planning or college saving. And that's just part of the overall financial plan that we deeply engage clients in. Ed Jertson, certified financial planner, founder of the Engage Wealth Group, based in Chicago. Find him online, engagewealthgroup.com. Still ahead, investment ideas from our Monday stock picker. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. A date is set for President Trump's federal trial on charges he tried to illegally overturn his loss in the 2020 election. I'm Sarah Herrera. Another news crew robbed at gunpoint. It's Stock Picker Monday. We'll get a pair of ideas from a portfolio pro and a part of a child's financial future should be establishment of a retirement account. WBBM Business. The markets are higher. The Dow is up 230 points. The Nasdaq is up 115. S&P 500 is up 28. We have 76 degrees right now in Chicago under mostly sunny skies. Going up to 81 today. It's 1231. Topping our news at the half hour. A federal judge is set March 4th of next year as the trial date for the case charging former President Trump with trying to overturn the 2020 presidential election. Federal Judge Tanya Chutkin denied the defense request to push the trial back. Here's CBS News correspondent Major Garrett. The Trump defense defense team suggested April 2026 was something that the judge said was simply unreasonable. She also said January 2024 was unreasonable. But the most important part of this is this trial will occur in the calendar year 2024 and months before the nominating convention for Republicans in Milwaukee. The March trial date would be a day before the Super Tuesday vote in the presidential primary. Another Chicago television news crew has been targeted by criminals. It was a robbery by gunpoint this time in the city's Westtown neighborhood. Just before 5 a.m., a male reporter and videographer from the Spanish-speaking local station Univision were at Milwaukee and Division. That's when police say two vehicles approached with three male offenders who exited the vehicles wearing ski masks and showing their firearms before taking the victim's belongings, reportedly getting away with the camera. No one is in custody. This is the third time this month a TV news crew has been the target in Chicago. Earlier, a Chicago TV news videographer 
reportedly from ABC7, was robbed on the west side. The perpetrator is getting away with a few phones, and a week and a half ago, a CBS2 videographer was attacked while covering a story at Oak Street Beach. Sarah Herrera at News Radio 1059 WBBM. It's 12:32 as the noon business hour continues. Stocks are trading higher today. Joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home is Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager with MacroTides.com, based in San Diego. Jim, thank you for joining us today. Markets are higher once again, despite the fact that on Friday morning in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, uh, Fed Chair Jay Powell said the possibility of uh, continued interest rate hikes remains on the table. He did, Rob, and I think uh, markets have kind of dismissed or overlooked that, and he tied it to, we need to see GDP growth below trend. Trend, according to the Congressional Budget Office, is 1.9%, so he wants to see GDP go to uh, you know, a level below that and stay there for a while, and secondly, uh, he wants to see the unemployment rate, although he can't specifically, for political reasons, say this, but he's expecting and would like to see the unemployment rate come down or go up. Also, uh, you know, in an effort to make sure that inflation continues to trend down and then stays down. What the market keyed off, I think, uh, Rob, was he noted that housing was rebounding and consumer spending was especially robust. And for those on Wall Street hoping for or believing there won't be a recession, that was music to their ears. Now, this is something that always jumps out to me, and that is and, and, and it, it has changed shape a little bit over the course of the tightening cycle, but uh, analysts still believe and are betting on the fact that the Fed will cut interest rates eventually. And uh, one of the predictions I saw this morning was that uh, pause in September, hike in November, pause again, and then start cutting as 2024 rolls on. Is this realistic thinking or is this someone just holding on to a prediction stubbornly? Uh, I think both. Uh, I don't think it's realistic, uh, Rob, from a standpoint that we need to see, as Powell laid out, more slowing in the economy, uh, unemployment rate ticking higher. But you're right. The first estimate is that in January there will be a rate cut. I think as long as GDP is north of 2% and the unemployment rate's below 4%, that's not going to happen. And just as a note, if any re- uh, listener would like to uh, get my uh, weekly uh, technical review for today, which I review Powell's comments and all this good stuff, send me an email, jimwelshmacro at gmail, and I'll send it because I cover this stuff uh, in greater detail, Rob. And we're talking to Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at macrotides.com. You can find them online. Uh, markets starting off the week in a, a, a rather strong note. We have uh, one big market mover coming up on Friday morning, and then we enter the month of September, which is historically a rather volatile month yeah it has it i think it's one of the only months if the only that we've seen negative returns consistently for the month of september relative to all the other months the jobs report obviously is going to be key as i said per powell's comments on friday regarding the labor market uh, I think Wall Street is looking for 165,000. The key is the unemployment rate, Rob. That is the 
primary measurement that the Fed looks at in terms of labor market tightness. They have a measure which called NARU. I won't spell out, you know, explain that acronym, but that's at 4.4%. So anything below 4.4 from the Fed's perspective on the unemployment rate means the labor market is tight. And that's why I said earlier, I don't think the Fed's cutting rates with the unemployment rate below 4% because the Fed would look at that as just, you know, too little slack uh, to nor- in order to keep inflation under control in coming months and years. Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager with MacroTides.com, based in San Diego. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next, jumpstarting your children's retirement savings. A deposit for your future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. One of the keys to saving for retirement is getting an early start, and the phrase, the earlier, the better, applies even to your kids. Let's get some direction from Craig Bolanos, founding partner and chief executive officer of the Wealth Management Group in Inverness and Downers Grove. Craig, thank you for joining us today. And normally the conversation about saving for retirement usually begins, you graduate from college, you get your first big important job with a salary and benefits, and that is when you start saving for retirement. But Craig, there's nothing in the rule book that says you can't start earlier. No, let's jump on this thing now and let's get our kids, our adult kids, let's get them started. And Rob, I can't believe it. Before we talk about Roth IRA, which we're going to do in a minute, how about we commit to making sure that all of our kids have high-yield savings accounts because the interest on money markets today is fantastic. And even $2,000 that came from birthdays and graduation gifts, it's going to earn $90 a year of interest. That's $7.50 a month just for having it in a high-yield money market, I think that's where we get people started before we move into the next level, which is getting a UGMA, UTMA account set up for the kiddos. Now, you talk about uh, those those uh, savings accounts uh, yielding $90 a year, and it doesn't sound like much, but uh, it's $90 more than you had before. It's 90 more dollars. It's four and a half percent. There's just an entire litany of high yield savings accounts, no minimum no costs, no maintenance fees. So if the money is currently earning point nothing, I encourage all the parents out there to teach their kids to get a high-yield savings account or a money market account and start seeing the miracle of compounding consistent interest build because it's back in vogue. And once that's done, let's commit to helping our kids not just save, but let's help our kids invest. And when our kids are minors, you know, under the age of 18, getting a UGMA, UTMA account, which is nothing more than you as the parent, you as the grandparent are the custodian. That means you're in control, but we can allow those kids to start buying a low cost index fund like the S&P 500. Those kids can pick some individual companies that they want to invest in and start the intellectual gratification process of participating in great companies of America. Talking to Craig Bolanos, founding partner and chief executive officer of the Wealth Management Group in Inverness and Downers Grove. Uh, Throw out some acronyms there, UGMA and UTMA. And uh, UGMA is the Uniform Gifts to Minors Act and the Uniform Transfers to Minors Act. And uh, how does that work? Well, again, in that UGMA, UTMA account, we're establishing an investment account for the benefit of the child. 
we, mom and dad or grandma and grandpa, are going to be responsible for that account until the child hits their legal age of majority, which is 21 in many states, but only 18 in some others. So mind your specific state's rules. But it's a great way, once we graduate from the savings account, to get the kids to participate in investing. But once we've got the money market or high-yield savings, once we have that UTMA, UGMA set up, then the next place to go, Rob, is to get everybody turbocharged for retirement and create that custodial Roth IRA for the minor, a.k.a. the child, once they start having some earned income, because growing money in the tax-free safety zone of the Roth IRA is the single best way to turbocharge a young person for their own future retirement responsibilities. And then very quickly, Craig, uh, thinking out loud here, especially since we had a discussion of FAFSA forms earlier in the program, uh, let's say your kids are especially skilled and they manage to uh, knock down a great deal of scholarship money. Uh, uh, and 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 that big nest egg you built up for college, you don't have to rely on it nearly as much. Is that a good source of retirement income for your uh, gifted student? Oh, I think it absolutely can be. I think the big message here for all of us is if we're intellectually honest and we look in the mirror, we probably all wish we could have started saving money earlier. And what I want everyone to remember is with every dollar we have, with every dollar our kids have, let's be very measured and intentional. Let's take into account liquidity. Always take into account how different types of accounts are taxed. Always take into account how things are going to interplay when it comes to the free application for federal student aid. And as long as we commit to be educated about those concepts, we're going to be incredibly effective in helping the young ones get the jumpstart that we didn't necessarily have on our own. Craig Bolanos, founding partner and chief executive officer of the Wealth Management Group in Inverness and Downers Grove. Thanks for joining us today. We'll get some suggestions from our Monday Stock Picker. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Stock Picker Monday, and helping us out today is Art Hogan, chief market strategist with B. Riley Financial, based in New York. Art, thank you for joining us today. And your first stock suggestion is from the energy sector. Yeah, Chenier Energy, uh, the symbol's LNG, appropriately so. Chenier is the largest producer of liquefied natural gas in the United States. And uh, they've got two main processing plants, one in Louisiana, one down in Corpus Christi, Texas. The, what's exciting about LNG to me is that uh, they're, going, they're in a transition now. They're going from being a capital spender to a capital maker. And they've spent the last, you know, call it five or six years, having to spend a lot of capital to build out these two plants. Now they're going to harvest that investment, and uh, LNG can't be any more in demand than it is right now and will continue to be. They've built their own pipeline that's um, about 21 and a half miles. So they have, they have uh, access to interstate pipelines of natural gas. The country has a plethora of natural gas. LNG can turn it into, Chenier can turn it into transportable natural gas, and that's exactly what the world needs right now. So we love the companies trading at about uh, – five times PE on a trailing basis and uh, throws off a 1% dividend. So we think it's very attractively priced right here. And I was going to say, very quickly before we move on to our next one, uh, America has turned out to be a lifeline when it comes to uh, LNG, especially given the uh, disruptions in Europe because of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Yeah, and and they're not going back, right? So 
Europe, you know, thankfully had a easier winter last year. And uh, with the shutdown of their ability to get natural gas from uh, Russia, the fact that they were able to get it from uh, safer and friendlier sources is just going to grow Shinier's business. And then uh, your next uh, selection is a feisty new upstart called J.P. Morgan. Right. Right. It's interesting. So all of the financials, including the banks, the money center banks like J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, uh, Citibank um, and the regional banks have been under pressure since uh, March 10th when we had the regional bank crisis. And and, uh, and then after a couple of downgrades by Fitch and Moody's, I think when you look at the financials and you want to look at what's the best in show and J.P. Morgan, clearly the best in show, they actually are trading at less than one and a half times book. And when you look at banks, that, that's one of the metrics you want to look at. They're trading at less than 10 times earnings. But the real metric is, what does it trade to, uh, in, in relation to a tangible book value? And you very rarely see J.P. Morgan trading at such a low valuation. I don't have to tell you what the company does, but clearly the, they, they have a rock-solid balance sheet. They've got a very strong business. They're actually beneficiaries of what happened in March to the regional banks. They're throwing off almost a 3% dividend, 2.7, and they're uh, trading at 10 times. Just a just a very attractive valuation for what I think is one of the most undervalued sectors in the S P 500 right now. Art Hogan, Chief Market Strategist at B. Riley Financial, based in New York. Thanks for joining us on this Stock Picker Monday. His suggestions are Chenier Energy. The ticker symbol, ticker symbol is LNG. That's because they're a liquefied natural gas company. And J.P. Morgan, JPM. You'll find past programs and later today a podcast of this hour at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app.